Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever time of the day you might be listening to this. Thank you so much for uh, clicking the play button on your device. We are in Acts the 15th chapter. If you want to get a Bible out and follow along or if you just want to listen, that's great as well. Um, Jason, we last week we reached the halfway point uh, in the book of Acts. I, I feel like that's kind of a milestone there, so we got the whole second half ahead of us now. Excited for Acts 15 and beyond? Well, Josh, we've got this far. Can't stop now. That's true. I mean, once we're, this is, we were over the hump now as we get into Acts 15, verse 1. And uh, we want to get right to it because this, uh, this is a significant chapter in, in, in a lot of ways. And um, I, I've kind of, I know I've said several different times in, in previous chapters, like, you know, some of these things are going to come to a head in Acts 15. And they are. Um, We've been noticing, uh, really beginning in, in chapter 10, uh, coming up to, to, to this point now, um, that the door of salvation has been opened up officially to Gentile peoples. Uh, it's, certainly it began a little bit before that with the gospel going to Samaria and to some of the, the kind of the outlying places uh, around Judea, but now it's going even further than that. Uh, the gospel opening up to Cornelius and his household in chapter 10. Uh, then we've noticed in the preaching journey of Paul and Barnabas uh, in particular uh, over the last couple chapters, they're going primarily to places where there's lots of Gentile population. And so we've got lots of uh, converts to Christianity now. We've got lots of folks in the beginning that were Jews, lots of folks now added to that that are Gentiles. Um, there's the potential there for problems, though, because of the differences of, of those sects of people and where they come from. And, um, and, and that all does kind of reach a, a boiling point here in chapter 15. Um, it is kind of worth us noting where we are, because uh, that sets the stage for 15. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they finished the preaching journey, they came back to where they started, which was Antioch in Syria, and that's where they are, beginning here in chapter 15, verse 1. Let's remember, you know, Luke didn't write this with all these chapter divisions, so this is just a continuation of that last paragraph in chapter 14 uh, that Paul and Barnabas remained no little time with the disciples in Antioch. Chapter 15, verse 1 now, But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So we got folks coming all the way from Jerusalem to Antioch. You look on a map, that's like 250 miles. Uh, they're coming a long distance uh, to make some pretty strong points. And this is a big deal because this is not just a matter of like personal opinion where, okay, well, well, that's what you think and this is what I think and we can agree to disagree and we can do that in a, you know, in a kind and respectful way. Um, this is not an issue that we can just agree to disagree on. We're talking about salvation here. We're talking about God's terms for salvation. Um, and so what they're teaching is obviously very different than what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching, what the other apostles uh, had been teaching. These, um, these Jewish uh, Christians, it seems like, uh, and I think I think that point's kind of bore out here in the next uh, few verses. That that is does seem to be what we're talking about. Maybe some Jewish Christians um, are saying that, yeah, well, in order to be a full Christian, in order to be fully saved, 
You're going to have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And I think it probably is inclusive of not just circumcision, but all of the other things that go along with that. And I think that's uh, bore out in verse 5 uh, when the ones that speak up there uh, say as well, keeping the law of Moses. It's not even just about the circumcision. It's about really just all of the stuff that pertains to Judaism. you got to do all that if we're going to be saved. Yeah, I think that the, the inference here is that these people were requiring them to become a proselyte yeah. um, to Judaism first, and then they could become a Christian. Um, and, I mean, if you just take a step back and think about it, you know, how did Christianity come to be? Uh, and what was it? it? It was to the Jews first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it came from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you could see in some ways how that mindset would be, you know, continued. Um, and how the Jews have always been God's chosen people. Well, ever since the days of Moses, anyway. Um, but that's that's the time, and, and that, that's what he's saying here, according to the custom of Moses. So it's like, now, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to come through the Jews first. You have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. So it's like another stepping stone along the way to salvation. I think that this chapter is going to help us to see um, if we have, if there's a, a disagreement on what salvation is and what it takes to be saved, um, what these people do in this chapter to fig- find out what the truth is, I think that this is a good uh, yeah. illustration for us to go to to see because even today there are arguments about what it takes to be saved. Um, you know, certain things you have to do, certain things you don't have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is just a good template to to approach that. It's it's maybe just hard for us to fully appreciate, you know, how how difficult it would be for Jews who for what for for fifteen hundred years that law, the law of Moses. I mean, it, it was given to them. It was exclusively meant for them, um, and. This transition now, where where well now God is saying that Gentiles, you know, can be equals with us. Um, I, I you know it, it, it's hard for me to, to to fully get that because I've th- that's not my background. Yeah. Uh, but for these folks, it was, and so uh, so there is some difficulty with that, and especially when it comes to the terms of 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 what it means to to be saved and to be counted uh, as part of the family of God. Um, was it was it was a difficult hump for them to to get over and to recognize how this was for for all people? Um, verse two says that after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, or to just kind of state the inverse of that, they had a lot of dissension <laughs> and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles to the apostles and the elders about this question. Um, so Paul and Barnabas, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're going to kind of jump in here and and say some things about this because what have we just been doing for the past year plus going to yeah. all these places? I mean, of course, they've they've got some skin in the game that hey, we're sure. we're we're, we're going to stand up and say, look, brothers, what you're saying is wrong, and here's here's why. Let me give me lay out the case for this. Um, notice that it says that it was determined that Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and that there were some others, we're going to go up to Jerusalem about this question. Now, I'm bringing this up because um, it would be easy to look at this 
and especially in the, the verses that follow, we, we sometimes refer to this as the Jerusalem Conference, the Jerusalem Council. Mm-hmm. It would be easy to look at this and say, oh, it kind of looks like Jerusalem is the mother church, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and that concept still exists in, in religious groups today, the idea of a mother church located somewhere, and, you know, they send down the orders, and it's almost like kind of a, a pyramid sort of organization. Uh, and it would be easy to look at this and to say, well, that's, I mean, that's what they were, you know, we talk about New Testament patterns and examples. Well, that seems to be what's going on here. Uh, I'm going to object to that for at least a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, the reason they're going to go to Jerusalem to address this is because that's where the trouble came from. Where did it say that these brothers came from that was causing this disturbance? They came from Judea. This is, this is where they came from saying this stuff. So we're going back to the source of the trouble. If, if these guys had come from Alexandria, well, that's where they would have went to discuss this. We're going to go back to where the trouble came from, and we're going to discuss it with those people in that location. The second thing is, is the fact that uh, verse 2 says, uh, we, we, we want to discuss this with the apostles. Where were the apostles at? Well, the apostles were still back in Jerusalem as well. Um, and so uh, I think for, for those two reasons in particular, that was the reason we're going to go back to Jerusalem uh, to discuss this with those folks. This is a one-of-a-kind situation. This is actually the only time that anything even remotely like this happens in the New Testament. So for anybody to point at this as being some kind of a a, a, a pattern or a, mod, a model or a template for you know church organization and well we need to have a mother church that takes care of problems when they come up um, you're going to run into some real um, you know problems with that uh, that, that just doesn 't fit here um, and, and I think those couple of reasons that I cited are are, are obvious ones what else yeah I, I mean I just think you know in in John sixteen when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit for the apostles. He was talking to them directly. He said, he will guide you into all truth. So if you want to know the truth about something, why not go to the guys that were determined to be the ones yeah. that have all the truth? Yeah. You know, um, So that would make sense. And I think that as we progress along in the chapter, we're going to see um, how they come to these, well, to the conclusion that they come to. Uh, and I think that's important too. Uh, because that helps us to see, you know, sort of the reasoning behind this. Um, it wasn't just some kind of arbitrary, let's vote, you know, yeah. our board of directors is going to get together and and whoever has the most votes wins. You know, that's not how they approached it. Right. And so I think, you know, it, in, in cases like this, when we are trying to decide and determine what we need to do with a certain issue that comes up, do we ask what the most popular opinion is and we go with that? Or do we try to figure out what the truth is? Um, and how do we go about finding the truth? And I think that that's the example we see here. You know, finding the truth, not just finding what pleases our leaders. Yeah. Uh, I think what we're going to see when, when they get to Jerusalem is we're going to have a Bible study. <laughs> That's what we're going to have, yeah. is we're going to have a Bible study. Uh, one other thing, because last week in chapter 14, we were noting how there was lots of connections to the book of Galatians, uh, mm. because yeah. th- this was a big issue that Paul wrote the Galatian churches about, um, you know, was about, you know, the influence of Judaizing ideas and, and, and these sorts of things. Um, one of the things that Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 stood out to me, uh, there in verses uh, 7, 8, 9 or so, uh, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul talks there about um, how his apostleship 
was, was just the same as the apostleship of, of Peter and John, etc. Um, it may be that you know Paul is 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 arguing and having this debate with these these brothers here in chapter fifteen, verse two, and it may be that they don't recognize his authority as an apostle. And Paul wrote in the Galatian letter about that issue um, that you know the, the same ones who sent me out, uh, or the same God who sent me, is the same one who sent those guys, and we're all part of the same part of the same team here. It may be that this idea of going to Jerusalem to be with the other apostles would have maybe kind of been a way of, of showing the validity of, of Paul's apostleship alongside the apostleship of Peter, James, well, James already dead, John, uh, and the others that, that were still remaining at that time. I think to help uh, along those lines, you'll see like in verse 12 when it refers to Paul and Barnabas uh, when they're in Jerusalem, they refer to them as Barnabas and Paul. Mm -hmm. So it's like automatically they're more familiar with Barnabas. Yeah, you know they look at him as being the leader, and Paul is his companion. Yeah, you know, sort of opposite of how we view that. Exactly. But that was their perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that this does that this the way that it, it even talks about the names when they're in Jerusalem, they say Barnabas and Paul because he hasn't been established yet to them. Yeah. Um, as you know, an authority figure like he is. Let's say one more thing about the, the tying in Galatians to this. Um, I think probably chronologically what this means, I think this means that Galatians probably had already been written prior to these events here that we're going to see. Um, because if, if, if it was the other way around, then really all Paul would need to do, if, if Paul wrote Galatians after the events of Acts 15, then a lot of the stuff he said in the book of Galatians wouldn't need to be said. He could have just said, hey guys, remember that letter that we circulated in Acts the 15th chapter? You know, that addressed most of this stuff. Uh, I, I tend to think that probably the Galatian letter was written prior to these events. We're at about 50 AD or so, so we're a good, you know what, 17 years or so into the, 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 the church age at this point. Uh, and folks are still, you know, wrestling with, with these issues, but... Um, I don't know, but Paul makes mention in the Galatian letter a couple times of trips to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and I don't think either of those fit um, this event because I don't think this event had happened yet. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't looked into that. Yeah. You know, I, the way I looked at it is Galatians two one through ten was about chapter fifteen here, but uh, I have to look into that a little more because it's. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. And, and uh, we'll, we'll, let's not make this a test of fellowship. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> As these uh, Judaizing brethren clearly were making uh, you know, circumcision a test of fellowship. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that thought kind of came to me when I was looking over uh, Acts 15 before we got started today. That I don't know, it seems like uh, some of the issues that are, that are addressed in this letter that they decide to send out would have answered... You know th those matters. I, I don't know. I, I tend to think Galatians maybe was written before that, but we can talk about that afterwards because we're not prepared to talk <laughs> about that. Obviously not. Too in depth right now, because uh, that's literally all I have to say about it. And so, uh, yeah, we'll we'll study that even more, and we may we may follow up on it the the following week if we find that that I'm wrong, especially. Um, verse number. Uh, so verse number three. Uh, so being sent on their way by the church. 
They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. I like how, because we noticed this back in chapter 14, whenever Paul and Barnabas were you know, kind of making their return trip back to Antioch. You know, hey, we're passing by all these churches. Let's just stop and visit them again. And I just like that approach that, hey, you know, why wouldn't we? You know, we're heading that way. Let's just stop and meet with some brethren. And yeah. uh, I know I've kind of been that way before whenever I'm, you know, traveling somewhere and if I'm going to be passing by some town or some place where a brother or sister family is going to be and, and hey, got a couple minutes, like to stop in, say hello, heading that way. Yeah. Uh, that's There's an apostolic example for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that, that's cool to be able to have this uh, th- this idea of the brotherhood that goes past, you know, the, the group that you are currently worshiping with. Yeah. You know? um, there's people all around. And so, um, you know, some people might look at that as sort of an inconvenience of, you know, I don't want to bother them. You know, I'm just passing through. But no, Paul took the the time to be like, no, let's encourage each other. Yeah, um, it's such a great attitude, and I, I think that that we do need more of that. Yeah, and especially the purpose of stopping in those places, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. Hey, we, yeah. I mean, we're happy about this, and we want to share that with others so that they can be happy too and excited. Uh, be praying for these, you know, new new brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So, hey, now the Jerusalem church gets to hear all of the the great work and success. Verse 5, but but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Uh, this is really interesting, verse 5. You know, sometimes we hear thrown around uh, today, uh, people talk about, you know, uh, people who are members of the church, oh, he, he, he's such a Pharisee. Well, here's some literal <laughs> members of the church yeah. who were actual Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, still had not fully severed ties with that. And, and we've, we've noticed that again and again and again, that, that for a lot of uh, Christians, in the beginning, there was not just this sharp break with, okay, Judaism's not the way to go anymore, now it's Christianity. No, for a lot of these folks, I, I think they still perceived that Christianity was just it was just kind of another branch of Judaism. And, uh, and so we see folks who still were clinging to the Pharisee, the, the kind of the way of the Pharisees. Maybe, I'd like to think maybe these were... Uh, possibly a little bit softer side of the Pharisees than maybe some of the hard-edged Pharisees were. Um, But nonetheless, they're essentially saying what the folks who had come up to Antioch had said previously, uh, you got to circumcise these folks and they need to keep the law of Moses. Order them to keep the law of Moses. Maybe a side point here, you know, with the idea of the, the Pharisees that are still there. Um, it's, it shows that the, the relationship between the God of the Jews versus the God of Christians is not something completely different. Mm. Because if it was, I mean, you would see, okay, well, this is not the way to go. This is. Um, but no, there were so many connections because it's the same God. And, yeah. you know, a lot of what he does require you know, a lot of the same things, a lot of the same attitudes, at least. Um, you know, the love and concern and, and that sort of thing we should have for each other. That was an Old Testament concept. So really, there was a lot of similarities, and that might have made it more difficult for them to, to you know, figure out, okay, now, what part of this is from the law we don't need to keep anymore, and what, what do we need to do? Yeah. Um, 
you know, and so maybe, maybe I'm just being a little too sympathetic with them, but, uh, you know, you can see why uh, some of these problems and issues have come up. Well, it's the same, it's the same reason that, like, you know, there have been occasions in the past where um, study with folks or somebody's, you know, visits the assemblies and they come from a different religious background. Mm -hmm. You know, they were part of a you know, uh, denominational Christianity somewhere, and then they came to a, a, a an understanding of what of what the New Testament teaches about salvation and those sorts of things, and so they uh, obey the gospel. They're baptized. They're they're a part of God's family now. However, they've still got some ideas that pertain to what church and the ideas of church was. You know, for the better part of their lives up until that point, and. There, there is, there needs to be some grace given yeah. for um, to allow some time uh, to to learn and to you know possibly grow out of some things that yeah I, I I was wrong about that maybe that you know understanding about salvation and about what God you know wants and and his expectations okay maybe that was pretty clear but some of these other things may not be as clear uh, and it is going to require some time and 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 I do think and I'd like to hope that that was evident with with some of the Jewish brethren mm-hmm. um, that that existed during again like I said we're 15 16 17 years into the gospel age now this point and um you know folks are still learning and um it maybe would still take some time for 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 some of those folks it is you know interesting to me that they are still referred to as as believers and brothers um you know we're we're, we're still in christ um but obviously we got to work through this i'll say again this particular point of doctrine about salvation this was not just a, a agree to disagree. We'll sweep it under the carpet and move on, sort of issue. Yeah. We got to figure this out because that's going to then affect everything about our our daily lives with each other. You know, the things that pertain to you know what we do with each other through the week. You know, here's Gentile brethren. We're over here continuing, you know, eating pork and all this kind of stuff. Um, but brother Jew over here, well. He thinks that's that that's wrong, and we can't be yeah. doing that, and and that that puts you at odds with me. Well, how are we going to go to each other's houses and eat dinner, and and you know be able yeah. to have uh, that kind of one-on-one time with each other, just all the way down to a very practical level like that. Uh, and I think that's why they understood this was a this was a serious issue that needed to be addressed. It was worth making a 250-mile you know march back up to Jerusalem to we're going to address the problem with the people who who are stirring up the trouble and with the other apostles and the elders there and the the, the brethren that were there. We all need to be able to discuss this and come to a come to a better understanding of what what God wants. Yeah. And I think that's the point. That's um, you know, Sometimes issues really come to a head, and and sometimes you know with this one, you had people who were standing up and very boldly and directly, you know, making these statements mm-hmm. that affected a lot of people. Um, and so, like you were saying, it wasn't an issue, like you know, did, did was Galatians two this or was it something like okay, that doesn't really matter, when no. it, you know. But this was a big thing. Yeah. Do we command people to follow the old Old Testament laws? Yeah. Um, it it's it's interesting to me to think about because um, I'm going to guess that these Pharisaic brethren who spoke up in verse five um, 
they probably said more than just that one sentence. <laughs> That's probably yeah. just Luke's summary of, of what they said. Um, so the thought, you know, the picture here in verse 4 to me is that we've got the Jerusalem church here is all gathered together. You know, it says, welcome by the church and the apostles and the elders. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are there in their midst. And it seems to me that these, these brethren then speak up. And th- there's thoughts here in my mind of, uh, of, of how elders in local churches deal with um, brethren who express um, ideas or maybe even you know opposing doctrines. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we deal with that? Um, it seems to me that, that probably the, the, the elders there in the, the church at Jerusalem maybe gave them the floor for some period of time maybe to, to express these things. Maybe they knew this was kind of already, there had already been conversations ongoing about this. I don't, I don't know, I tend to think this probably was not like some huge revelation when these Pharisees <laughs> stood up and said this. Um, it had been bubbling, if nothing else. Um, you know, it... it other churches, you know, I just think I just try to think about try to compare this to today. If you know, if a, if, if if a local church had had a brother or, or, or brethren that stood up and spoke something that was false or hold to, I mean, do the elders give them the floor? I don't know. I mean, that that would be their judgment and their determination about that. Or do the elders just we're going to quench that and stop that, mm-hmm. you know, and don't even allow give them a forum at all, um, lest they end up leading people astray. Um, right. it's a matter of judgment and obviously they, they determined alright let these guys say some things um, because verse 6 the apostles and the elders they had gathered together to consider this matter what is the New American Standard how does it render that verse 6 came together to look into this matter alright and, and this touches back to, to what you've been trying to say uh, for the last couple of minutes and that is you know, Paul and Barnabas didn't come to Jerusalem to, oh, we got to go to the apostles and, and they got to give us the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's, we're all going to sit down and we're going to think about this and we're going to study this. It wasn't that this little committee here is, we're the deciders on it. No, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to accumulate all of the, the evidence and uh, have some discussions. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this. We're going to consider, uh, you know, what God's, you know, apostles, what they've been doing and the reports that they have and put all of those pieces together uh, to come to uh, some kind of a, a conclusion on the matter, which is, again, my word for all of that is we're going to do a Bible study. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because that's sort of what happens. Yeah. I mean, the what follows, that's it. They come together to look at it. They don't already have their mind made up. Um, you know, maybe maybe some of them know more, uh, you know, sure. what the truth is. I think Peter had experienced this. He, he was in a good spot. He mention yeah. that. Um, but it was. They were, they were going to look into it. They, they were going to put some effort into it. Um, and not just try to please the people, yeah. but find the truth. Yeah, yeah. there was not already the predetermination, oh, well, we're already right, so yeah, good. you, you were smart coming to us because we already... <laughs> nope, yeah. we're all going to look into this. We're all going to look into this together, which is what needs to happen whenever there's any kind of, 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 of matter of contention on, on biblical matters. 
We all need to be willing to come together. Again, I come back to verse 4, and I'm picturing all of this. We've got apostles. We've got elders. We, we've got the whole church involved in this. In fact, it, uh, a few verses down when they decide to uh, you know, uh, put the pen to paper and send a letter, verse 22, uh, this seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Yeah. You know, So there was uh, consideration for, for, for everybody. We want everybody to, to, to be involved in the... Uh, the thinking. We're going to do some critical thinking here and some, some studying on this matter. Verse 7, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, and what, what then follows, uh, I believe, is kind of a, a three-pronged kind of attack, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that that there was this was a, a war necessarily. But here's kind of three layers of, of evidence for why we're, we're led to believe that this is the logical conclusion to this matter. And the first is going to be Peter's you know, personal testimony, if you will. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter's starting to talk here about Acts chapter 10. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So Peter hearkens back to what took place at Cornelius and and, and his household. Verse 8, I think, is really helpful for us because if ever there was any question at all about why did the Holy Spirit fall upon Cornelius and his household, it's answered right there in verse 8. It was to bear witness that God accepted the Gentiles. That that was the purpose of of that event um, was to make clear in, in unforgettable terms that this is God's acceptance of those people, that there is no distinction between them and us. We are all, as Peter concludes there in verse 11, we're all saved the same way. Um, And that's through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and and responding to that grace. Uh, The way that they got saved, that's the way that we're saved. That's the way that everybody's going to be saved. Uh, It's the once-for-all gospel that's been delivered for all time, as Jude talks about in Jude uh, well, one, chapter one. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah, you know, the way he uses that, it's kind of smooth how Peter you know, lays that out there at the very end especially because it, he doesn't say, now the Gentiles can be saved just like we are. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, no, we are saved in the same way that they are. Yeah. Um, because you think about that. You think about the Old Testament. Um, did, the, did the old law save them? If it did... What was the point of Jesus? Right. You know, there would be no reason for him to come and die. No, he came because the old law revealed that we're all sinners. Um, Since no one is able to keep the law perfectly, we needed something else. Yeah. And so now we're trying to take the better gift that we have, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and we're trying to go back to a system of slavery that, you know, we couldn't handle. um, And it, it... it didn't justify us. Um, so why are we trying to do that? No, let's let's look at the Gentiles as our example because they don't have to come through all the jump through the hoops of the old law. But they have Jesus directly 
let's let's trust in His grace and be saved by that. Yeah, uh, it, we see here. You know, look at the end of verse nine when he talks about their hearts were cleansed by faith, and then verse eleven talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus. We have there exactly what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, that we are uh, saved uh, by grace through faith. Uh, it's a, it's a joining together of of both of those uh, concepts, and uh, th- that was that was how they're saved. That's how we're still saved today. Uh, verse ten, um, you know, we, we we've noticed this a handful of times already throughout Acts. This concept of of like fighting against God or putting God to the test. You know, we were reminded of Gamaliel's speech that he made. We're reminded of, you know, well, essentially what Jesus said to to Saul on the road to Damascus about, uh, you know, kicking against the goads. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like there's another one I'm I'm forgetting along the way of this this fighting against or putting to the test sort of stuff. Once again, uh, the point is, it, it's a losing battle. When, when, when you do yeah. that, you're not going to get anywhere. And and he said the way that we're putting God to the test here is this thinking that we're going to place this 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 yoke, uh, this this burden upon these people that even we ourselves are not able to even do. And I like how Peter says they didn't just say you know that that you know our fathers weren't able to bear it. No, not even we are able to keep the law of Moses perfectly uh, in order to be saved in that way. Because uh, that's what that would require. Is, is we'd, ha- we'd have to keep it perfectly in order to be saved by it and by it alone. And Peter just says, that's impossible. And in fact, it's, it's really almost absurd to, to, to lay that upon them uh, in that way. Especially, you know, it's even more absurd to think about trying to place that upon people who, who don't even have any familiarity with it at all. You know, they didn't grow up, you know, having the Torah read to them and, um, you know, going to, uh, going to the tabernacle or the temple or the synagogue or wherever it would be and listening to the rabbis week after week. It's, it just would be impossible. Um, and, and I think the response in verse 12 uh, is, is fitting that all the assembly fell silent because, well, what do you say? And he, was, he was right in what he said. You know, the presentation that he laid out there, you can't say, how are you going to argue with that? You can't. No, you can't. And to, to further your point you were making about putting God to the test, Acts 5, 9, when Ananias and Sapphira we were go. being confronted by Peter, um, he said, why do you put the Spirit of, of the Lord to the test? Yeah. Um, you know, by by lying like that, and so it's the you know it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we have to consider: do we put God to the test? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, and I, I think that sometimes we toe this line. If we're if we swing too far on the side of grace, you know, the grace of God is amazing. We need it. But if we say that because of the grace of God, nothing I do matters, and I can sin as much as I want, or you know, whatever, because the grace of God will cover it. That's putting God to the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have to keep that, uh, what you said, we're saved by grace, but it's through faith. And the faith in, in God, um, to be truthful and to be honest, when He tells us there's certain things that He expects and requires, we need to believe that that's true. Yeah. Well, and let's think about just verse 10. This, the, the specific putting, to the God, putting God to the test in this context was you're putting God to the test by, by binding you know, things that, that, that you believe on others, and that can still be a problem today. We may not necessarily be That's trying true. to bind the law of Moses on other people, but how many times do we have our own, you know, personal convictions, our own personal scruples, and 
that we expect others to live by that exact same set of rules and that exact same code of, of conduct or, or, or morality in order for them to be, you know, extend the right hand of fellowship to them. Mm -hmm. uh, we better be very careful about that because in the words of, of Peter here, you're putting God to the test when you do that. When you start putting your rules uh, on others, that's a bad way to go. And we, you know, you study in the Gospels, you know, that's one of the things that just quickly upset Jesus oftentimes when he would encounter the Pharisees and those of those groups that, all right, they had their little traditions and their little things that they did. And the little things that they did and their traditions weren't bad in and of themselves. Yeah. The problem was, was when they tried to bind those on others and elevate them uh, above God's actual law. Uh, and we just got to be careful about that. I, I, that's one of those things I, I got to work on. You know, I, I've got I've I've got specific lines that I've drawn for myself, but I got to realize, yeah, th that line may not be the same for you or for the guy over here, or especially for Joe, new Christian, mm -hmm. who is still learning and still trying to figure some stuff out. Uh, he'll he'll develop his lines in time, hopefully. Um, and that's hard. That is really hard yeah. to to have the humility to realize that you know what my understanding of what God expects and requires might not be exactly what it is yeah. you know maybe there's something there i'm not seeing maybe uh you know someone else sees it you know more clearly um i think in general we try to over restrict i think that's that's where a lot of us mm. fall you know on that spectrum yeah uh, we either over restrict or we're overly you know too generous with what we allow um, but a lot of times I think we do try to, you know, if, if God has fenced off this large area, we try to fence ourselves in even more yeah. um, to be like, well, if, I, if I'm if i in this area, I know I'm not crossing the line. Right. And, you know, maybe that's good and for that, you. If and that works for you, that's great. But we can't put everybody else in that fence. Yeah. You know, we, we have to uh, just have some grace and, and understanding for others. I've often found that oftentimes fences that I've drawn for myself in this area, all right, this brother over here, this family over here, well, well, they may do differently. And so, again, the quick and easy thing for me to think is, well, they're just loose and free and liberal with God's law. But then come to find out they're more restrictive in a different area than I am. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, everybody's going to have their own little their own little sets of additional fences. And again, th those aren't bad in and of themselves. And I don't even think, you know, th there wasn't even necessarily anything wrong with these Jews then. Hey, you, you want to keep circumcising your, your sons? Have at it. You know, yeah. you want to keep, um, you know, observing the dietary restrictions, the kosher laws? Have at it. You know, have a ball with that. Um, you, you just you need to be careful about you know making that a a, a, a fellowship issue and a, mm. certainly in this case a salvation issue. Um, right, we're determining who we're willing to call brothers or yeah. not. Uh, I think that's that's a thing that people struggle with a lot today. Yeah. Even um, you know a lot of times you know we think about the Pharisees who believed. Um, I think they were con still considered brethren. Um, even though they had this, this, you know, really out there concept and idea, and which turned out to be, you know, dead wrong. Yeah. Um, but the way that we operate uh, within the parameters of what God has has laid out, uh, we do need to be understanding of each other, and we do need to, um, instead of drawing lines, we need to do more to build bridges. Yeah. Um, and not saying that we should compromise, uh, right, right? Right. I don't want to put put off that right at all. 
Um, but, you know, we do need to consider, uh, you know, sometimes I do put more restrictions than, than God does. Yep. And so if someone else doesn't fall under that category, I can't say that they're less of a brother. Yeah. People have been doing that for centuries, and we just need to see that, it, you know, I, I can just as easily do it as, as these people here in Acts chapter 15 were. Um, after the assembly falls silent, well, then here kind of comes the, the second round of, of, of evidence for um, how to address this, this question. Uh, they then listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, you know, kind of give their retelling of, of the things that, that had been done. And, and I think the implication here is that the fact that God enabled them to do signs and wonders among the Gentiles w would have been clear evidence that God accepts them. If, if, if God did not accept the Gentiles simply through grace you know, and, and faith working together and responding to the gospel the way that all the rest of us have, then, then God wouldn't have empowered Paul and Barnabas to be doing miracles and signs amongst those people. If, if Paul and Barnabas were doing something that was outside of what God wanted, hey, he would have, he would have stopped that. You know, he would have, you know, put the pause button on the, hey, look, I'm zapping and nothing's coming out with the miracle button. <laughs> um, and, and so that was, the, that was just another layer of confirmation. All right, look, this wasn't just Peter and what happened there at Cornelius' house. Look, we've got, you know, dozens upon dozens of examples of here's all these different towns and cities that we've went to, and God continued to do uh, miraculous signs. Uh, again, to, to, to kind of go back to what was said back in verse 8, those miracles and signs bore witness to the fact that God accepted them. I mean, it uses the word signs. You know, what do we use a sign for? What does that do for us? Points to. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's something that, that signs are there for a reason. It wasn't like they were just, well, let's, let's just heal all these people. Yeah. Um, you know, just all willy-nilly. No, it was to point to something. And it points to God because it says that God had done through them. Yes. Um, they make it obvious it wasn't because they were just really good at miracles themselves. Uh, I mean, that doesn't work. You can't do that. Yeah. Nobody is. Um, but God was the one behind that. You mentioned there uh, a little bit earlier in verse 12 how this was kind of one of the few occasions where Barnabas's name gets put back in front of Paul's, and it probably was. Uh, and for all we know, Barnabas may have been kind of the main talker uh, on this occasion. Um, so. Maybe because of the fact that the other these, these Jewish brethren, or, or the, the, the Jerusalem brethren, uh, you know, would have had more rapport with him or we, we know him better and um, you know he doesn't have the background that you know Paul used to have uh, so it's kind of maybe an effort to accommodate and, and, and better reach some of those uh, Jewish people I think that's evident again here in the next couple verses just yeah. with the way that James uh, the name that he uses to refer to Peter look at verse 13 after they finished speaking James replied brothers listen to me Simeon and that is the Aramaic slash Jewish name for Peter, uh, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Um, I want to just clarify who this James is. This is clearly cannot be James the Apostle. Uh, he was killed back in chapter 12. Uh, most likely it seems like this is James uh, that we refer to as the brother of Jesus, who also uh, seems was uh, a leading person, maybe even an elder here in, in the Jerusalem church. 
uh, obviously is a man who has you know influence here amongst uh, the brethren, um, and so he 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 kind of confirms you know what what had happened with Peter, and then what he then does, which is kind of this third prong of the attack, is he just harkens back to Old Testament scripture, and the quotation here is largely from Amos chapter nine. Uh, it seems like maybe even the the last little phrase there may actually be taken from from Isaiah, um, maybe kind of a, a mishmash of a couple of passages. But the quotation in verse fifteen, and with this the words of the prophets agree. So, all right, what Peter said, what what had happened, what happened with Paul and Barnabas, what happened with them is in exact agreement with what these prophets had said long ago, as it is written, verse sixteen. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Um, that, that, that may actually be, that, that quote from Amos 9, may actually be one of the clearest uh, and strongest of all of the prophetic statements in the Old Testament that spoke, you know, hundreds of years before to, to God's plan for salvation for all, and specifically the mention of, 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 of Gentiles there. Um, that expression at the end of verse 18, how these things were known from of old, I like that because it just kind of shows, just kind of speaks to the idea of the story of the Bible as a whole. How all of this has all worked together. Uh, this is not just some new thing. No, this is from of old. Uh, this is the way God has always planned it forward. This restoration. When he talks there in verses uh, 16, uh, 16 about rebuilding and restoration, uh, I don't think he just simply means about rebuilding and restoring uh, Judaism and restoring the Israelite nation in its previous incarnation, I think he's speaking of the idea of restoration and rebuilding in the church and, and, and how that's going to look. And yeah, it's going to look a little bit different because yes, it's going to be the bringing back together of, 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 of the Israelite people and the Jews who accept Christ, but there's going to be others who get to be a part of that uh, thing that's being built as well, and that's the Gentiles. Because Jesus reigns on the throne of David. Yeah. He, he came from that lineage, and now he reigns in the spiritual kingdom, in the spiritual sense um, that... You know, they would have misinterpreted at times, but that's what he's talking about, uh, and that's that's how his reign is established. Um, you know, when we read that, I, I love how he, this prophecy from Amos, they had had that a long time. Yeah. You know, it wasn't anything new. And so, again, to, to the point of, of this little committee that they were having, um, it wasn't that they were making arguments based solely on, well, you know what, you're, you're just old in your thinking and <laughs> times have changed and you just need to be more modern. You need to be more progressive because, I mean, look, we're in 50 A.D. You know, mm -hmm. we, we're not 30 A.D. anymore. Right. And so we know better. Yeah. We, we, we know that Gentiles need to be accepted because everybody has equal worth and equal value. You know, that, that wasn't the argument here. Uh, the argument was, no, this is what scriptures have taught forever. You know, from long ago. Even Amos was written a long time before then, and he was talking about things that were from long ago. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that was a long time ago. Yeah. You know, this, this was always God's plan. So, again, 
when we try to make a decision, it's not to try to keep up with the times, but it's trying to align our times with what God's will is. Yeah, and has always been. Yeah, uh, I mean, you want to go back to, I don't know, go all the way back to Genesis 12, the promises to Abraham. Uh, all, all families of the earth will, will be blessed. Um, maybe there's a Maybe there's some kind of statement before Genesis chapter 12 that I'm just not thinking of that kind of makes it clear what, what God's plan was all along and um, the efforts that were being made throughout the entirety of, of Scripture to get us to, to this point in time. Um, James's conclusion, verse 19, Therefore, you know, in light of these Scriptures, in light of, of, of our brethren who've, who've gone and, uh, and you know, been, been used by God in these ways, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, etc. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so uh, James's determination uh, based on you know kind of all of this you lay all this evidence out um, is that it's pretty clear God accepts these 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 folks. These are our brothers in Christ. Um, you know we, we don't need to be trying to, to put God to the test or fighting against what God uh, is is pretty clearly doing. Again, this wasn't like just some kind of isol okay, we got an isolated incident over here with 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 Peter, you know, there really weren't a lot of people there, you know, to confirm and corroborate Peter's story there. It's not just one incident. We've got several instances of this stuff. And then on top of that, we've got scriptural, mounds of scriptural evidence. Uh, the overwhelming conclusion is uh, these people need to be accepted. And, and we don't need to be laying on them all of these additional uh, burdens. Instead, we ought to write something that's going to encourage them. Let's write them uh, a letter that might help them, in, especially in their relations and in their dealings with their, their uh, Jewish brothers and sisters uh, in Christ and uh, provide them maybe a little bit of, of, of direction that'll, that'll help them in, in their dealings going forward. I, I do want to say something about those things that are mentioned there in verse 20. Maybe we'll wait till we get down to... Uh, they're repeated again, aren't they, in the letter? Yeah, yeah, verse 29. We'll talk about that when we get to verse 29. Um, what else before we actually look at the letter? Well, I, I just think that it, it's important to consider that they're not going to lay any extra burdens. Um, but, you know, there are specific things, specific areas that they, they do need to be concerned with and they yeah. do need to think about. Um, you know, if, if we put that on top of all this other stuff, that would be overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, you know, coming into a, a new system of belief. You know, now you're a Christian. Um, being a Christian is hard, and there are things we have to give up. But if we make it even harder, you know, what's that going to do to them? That will be so discouraging. Um, but no, what we find here is let's find the truth. Uh, let's not... Um, Let's not add anything to the truth. Let's not take anything away, but let's just present them what they need. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we'd already read before that the Gentiles were, were excited to have salvation and, and excited when, uh, you know, Paul made that statement to the Jewish brethren, you know, you've, you've not listened, so now we turn to the Gentiles and they have access. You know, that was an exciting thing for them. You know, let, let's not steal their thunder, and, mm -hmm. and let's let's help them in, in whatever way we can. Yeah. That that expression there at the end of verse 21, 
when he says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogue. I think it's maybe just kind of a, a, a way of stating, you know, look, we're... We're not just chucking the things that Moses said. Yeah, you know the, the 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 moral underpinnings of what Moses taught; those things are still the same. You know those those principles those haven't changed. In fact, much of the 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 things that the Old Testament taught carried forward into the New Testament. You think about just the Ten Commandments; nine out of those ten are repeated and confirmed in Christ's covenant. Uh, the Sabbath law, of course, being the only one that's not uh, required in the new covenant. And, and the truth goes, that goes the same for lots of the other um, things that are found in, in Old Testament teachings. The, the principles that undergird them, even though maybe the New Testament law does not specifically define out you know, certain things the, the way that the Old Testament did. You know, Think about how... Uh, meticulous and l laboriously spelled out certain things were about, you know, if uh, your neighbor's oxen falls into the ditch <laughs> and then you do this and then they do that. and yeah. All right, the, the New Testament doesn't give all that. But, you know, the principles behind those things and the uh, the concepts, many of those are carried over to the New Testament. So James is saying, look, we're, we're, not, we're not just chucking Moses altogether. No, it's... Uh, there's a place to continue to, to, to read what Moses taught and uh, those passages. He's read the Sabbath in the synagogues, uh, every Sabbath. Um, verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they sent Judas, called Barsabas, Barsabbas, Barsabbas. Okay, anyway. This is the only time we know this. We have this guy's name mentioned in the whole New <laughs> yeah. Testament, so uh, I'm trying to give him a little bit of extra shout-out here. Oh, we tried. Yeah. Uh, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, and of course this is the, the, the Silas that is going to become you know, semi-famous to us as being a companion of, of, of Paul. He's referred to as Silvanus in uh, a couple of the, the letters later on. Mm. Um, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And here's what the letter, how the letter reads. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Love that. Your brother's here yeah. saying hello to you, our brothers and sisters there. We are all part of the same family of God. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, Although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that they kind of lay out here at the beginning. We want you to know that the brethren who came to you Maybe even kind of, you know, they maybe even have presented themselves. Well, hey, we're from the Jerusalem church. You know what that means, don't you? That's where the apostles are from. Um, we, we want you guys to know we didn't send them. Yeah. Uh, they, they went into business for themselves on that. And um, we didn't give them the instructions to do that. What they've done uh, is it has not been good. You know, the words that they use is there. They've troubled you and unsettled your mind. Um, you know, what we want in Christ is we want to have a settledness. You know, we don't want to be unsettled. We want to be settled and be confident. I'm in Christ. I'm right with God. I'm, I'm 
doing what God wants me to do. Uh, these brothers came in and did just the opposite of that, and that's that that wasn't right. They're just kind of making it clear it wasn't right what those uh, brethren did. Uh, so instead, we've sent to you these good brethren. Verse 27, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Verse 29, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, all right, you've you've already received the gospel, uh, and not just you know the, the the initial aspects of the gospel, but obviously they had received additional teaching. We know in particular places like uh, Antioch had had. You know, continued teaching by Paul and Barnabas. They stayed there for a good a good chunk of time with them, uh, even after, uh, before, and after that particular trip. And so, um, so more than just the first principles kinds of things. They've they've continued to receive uh, teaching. So you 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 you've learned what it means to be a Christian. Um, we're not going to burden you with all these additional things that those brothers had came to you and said. However. We are going to tell you that here's some things that, that you do need to be mindful of. So the four things that are mentioned there in verse 29. Um, food that had been sacrificed to idols, um, from blood, from food that had been, you know, the animals had previously been strangled, and then sexual immorality. Um, I will confess to you that, uh, and, and, and maybe you're going to help me here today, I, I will maybe. confess to you that um, I'm not 100% um, settled in my own mind on, on how this works for them and probably more importantly for us today. Mm. Um, so let's just talk for a second. Uh, there are some I know that have said that all right, these are things that, you know, harken back to, I've heard, I read something one time about this stuff, harkens all the way back to like the, the, the covenant with Noah. Mm. Uh, and there's some things in here about that. Some, this is harkening back to some Old Testament, you know, Old, old Covenant, Mosaic Covenant things. Um, I have heard it said that um, these things are to be bound for, for all time. I mean, not just for those Gentile Christians then, but these are things that need to be bound for us today as well. And at the same time, I've also heard some folks say, well, these were just suggestions and, and, or even requirements for them, and they really don't apply to us. And it's hard to just kind of, in one swath, really <laughs> say any of that. Yeah. Um, you know, that last one about saying, well, these don't really you know, pertain to us. All right, I can probably get on board with that, with the food sacrifice to idols or uh, blood or even things that have been strangled uh, because even the Apostle Paul will write, like in the Corinthian letter, that you know, food that's been offered to idols, well, that, that, that's nothing. It, he does recommend that if, if, if that's a cause and a grounds of, of, of stumbling for your brethren, you, you do need to stay away from that. Or even if it's going to cause you to stumble and kind of revert back to your idolatrous former life, then you need to stay away from that. But in and of itself, nothing sinful about food offered to an idol. Um, so I can get on board with saying, yeah, that, that may not necessarily be a big deal for us. I mean, the thing about blood, um, I mean, I don't go around 
drinking blood <laughs> or and, and, and I'm yeah. not even I'm not even the kind of person that even likes you know like my steak you know with and I've, I've been told before that that red stuff in steak it's not even blood it's just like a, a dye or something yeah, um, yeah. You, do you know what it is I mean it, it's just the the way the proteins the okay. myoglobins come from yeah because um, I've had people ask this question before about you know is this first saying I can't eat a steak that's still got you know a little bit of blood in it you know I like mine really really rare hmm. um and I'm not that way. I like mine. I like mine well done. Um, uh, right. The food that, or you know, food that had been strangled—that is, just the the manner in which the animal was was killed, which probably also has to do with blood still possibly being, you know, in the animal as well. Again, I I, I think the New Testament later on would say that yeah, those are those are matters that aren't of any consequence. But there's that last one there. <laughs> about sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a suggestion. I mean, that is clearly taught to stay away from sexual immorality, fornication. I mean, it's taught all over the New Testament. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught all over the New Testament. Uh, that one's not just a, well, you can take it or leave it kind of thing. Um, so trying to figure out kind of what's going on there, I, I do wonder, since those first three things really have to do with... Um, pagan practices, things that were common at the idol temples and, and what went on with idolatrous worship. Well, sexual immorality also was common in temple idol worship. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm wondering if maybe this is kind of touching upon that. Um, you know, that, uh, well, yeah, it was very clear we shouldn't be involved in sexual immorality, but l let me just also kind of throw in as well that this idea of, of fornication as somehow being associated with, with worship, that's out too in, in, in New Testament Christianity. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's my random bunch of thoughts about, <laughs> about this section. What, do you, what, what say ye? Well, I have a few thoughts, and, and I don't know how much I want to get into all that just because, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, but, you know, you think about what you just said about the idol worship, and I think that a, a lot of these do revolve around that concept. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the Jews... To their credit, uh, at this point, that's not what they struggled with as a nation. You know, years before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Babylonian captivity. That's you know one of the major reasons why they were there. Idol worship. Um, and, but since then, it seems like that was not their their thing. They had learned their lesson as far as that goes. But yeah, all the other nations around, they were used to idol worship and you know going to an idol's temple and that sort of thing. You know, you have you do have statements like in First Corinthians ten when it talks about people going to an idol's temple to worship. Um, that uh, verse. Okay, so First Corinthians ten verse nineteen. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things with the which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to become sharers in demons. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, yeah, the meat itself, you know, whatever, it's fine. But if you go to an idol's temple and participate in that worship, you're participating in the worship of what you know to be false. It's an idol. But what's behind the idol? It's demons. And so if you are going to go and be part of this worship, and a lot of times when I, I look at that and I see things sacrificed to idols in the New Testament, uh, I think there's almost a, there's almost a, you know, a, a complete mindset of, of 
they were talking about going to an idol's temple and, and offering sacrifices mm-hmm. there and being part of that feast because that's what they would do. They would eat that meat there. Yeah. Um, so all of that, <laughs> that was a lot of rambling, just to say that you know, I, I think he was telling them to separate from the idol worship um, because I think the issue there in First Corinthians People were saying, well, I know the idol is nothing, so I can go to this feast, and I get get to enjoy the feast, and I know that the idol is not anything. Paul said, no, <laughs> it is because it's the demons. And so I think that's why this list is here, things sacrificed to idols, and all of this was involved in that. You know, and maybe the blood thing, this being strangled, uh, you know, a lot of modern cultures even, when they slaughter animals, they bleed them out pretty well. So even if you're eating meat that has some redness to it, it's not the same as eating something that has been strangled because of the blood there. And maybe there is a sense in which some of the stuff that God told Noah applies to all people. And so, you know, for that, I would personally avoid yeah. things that have that have been strangled that have you know still have blood in them or you know eating. There's some cultures that do like some kind of blood pudding or or something and. Uh, that sort of thing. The Bible, there's a lot of symbolism of what blood is and stuff. And so, because of all those reasons and... Life is in the blood. It, it is, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Leviticus there. Um, and the end of verse 28, these essentials, it's like, you know, that, that was essential, at least for them. Uh, maybe in order to separate their idol worship mentality from Christianity. In the same way that the Jews were trying to bring their... Um, you know, outlook onto Christianity. Maybe the temptation for the Gentiles, well, let's worship in some of the same ways we did before. Um, so, I don't know if that helps any. <laughs> well, I, I, I got asked a question, uh, and it's been a long time because I, I, and I, I've still not gotten around to addressing it for, for Q&A night, but I was asked the question in particular about the blood thing, about, yeah. all right, I'm looking at that passage. I mean, is that saying that it's wrong for me to eat you know, like where it's a steak or some other item of food that does have, you know, not like, you know, super gory, bloody. I'm like going around just drinking vials of blood yeah. or a big chalice of blood like a, a vampire or something. But, um, you know, it, 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 if, if I committed sin. And, of course, I know what the answer is for me. Like, I, I don't even want to eat stuff that's, that's, that's yeah. like that. You know, for right. me, all four of these things, I'm totally fine with. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't do them. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to be involved in any of that. Um, but to, to, you know, buying the blood thing in particular uh, today, I just, it, it is worth considering kind of the, the long-standing principles of Scripture that do go all the way back to, to, to the days of Noah about, um, you know, things that, that the life is in the blood and, uh, and about, you know, God's order of things. Um, it would be worth us taking these things into account. I think I think probably one of the biggest considerations for uh, for them writing these things to these Gentiles at this time was a what we already talked about about uh, we need to kind of make a, a, a clear separation away from idolatrous sorts of practices. And, and this is here's some ways you can you can get to work on that in a really tangible way, break free of all of that. Uh, the other thing I think that's under consideration is they recognize those are going to be huge sticking points with their Jewish brethren. And in order to bring about unity with one another, you, you, you guys, don't, let's not even like debate over this stuff. Let's just say, hey, I'm going to sacrifice that stuff. 
you know, even if there was some allowance for eating of these kinds of foods or whatnot, it's not worth it to me. I'm going to give that stuff up. Uh, I'm going to stay away from that so that I can uh, have harmony and unity with, uh, with, with, with my brothers and sisters who maybe feel uh, differently uh, about those sorts of things. And uh, the truth is, uh, these things evidently, you know, just you know, the fact that Paul wrote the Corinthian letter, uh, probably suggests that these things continue to be issues going yeah. forward. It's not like this letter that uh, the Jerusalem Council, you know, sent out that, that well, well, that fixed that problem once and for all. No, <laughs> yeah. these continued to be problems uh, amongst brethren uh, even after this. Um, but these are the things that they've, that they've said, and... Um, Based on again all of the evidence that had been compiled, compiled based upon all the, the the wisdom that all kinds of different voices had contributed to that discussion, here's the here's the conclusion that we've we've come to. Uh, I do find it interesting that <clears throat> this could have been a place where God very easily could have just you know through the Holy Spirit or, or whatever could have just directly intervened mm. and just said. Boom, this is it. No sense in y'all even doing this. No, no sense in having this big conference and discussion and so forth and all the banter back and forth. I mean, God could have, when all these people, you know, these Jewish purists and all these, you know, uh, other folks were here under one roof, God could have just you know, sent the Holy Spirit in a powerful way to clearly demonstrate, this is my will on this matter. God didn't do that. I find it interesting that God saw fit. You all need to work through this, uh, and you need to employ some of the uh, deductive reasoning skills that are necessary to, uh, to to flesh out problems. Which is what makes this chapter so helpful for us, because that's what we're going to have to do whenever we encounter uh, points of disagreement, whether they be big matters like this one, or even if they are smaller matters. Um, we're going to have to, to to flesh them out the same way that these these early Christians did in Acts 15. Yeah, modern day example. I mean, there's there's a large group of people who will teach you do not have to be baptized to be saved. Um, but then you have some that say yes, you do have to be baptized to be saved. What do we do with that? Do we just say, well, you know, my uncle's brother, you know pharmacist goes to a church that they teach this and because they teach that that's what i believe mm -hmm. is that our argument yeah. is, is that what we go to uh or do we say well let's see what the bible says let's look at all these examples let's not just take one piece of evidence you know you can find a scripture that you can take out of context to mm -hmm. make it say about anything you want but let's take the whole counsel of god didn't you notice they didn't just listen to peter they didn't just listen to, to Barnabas or Paul or James. They didn't just read one script. They they went to all of these sources in to, aggregate to get that. Yeah. Yes, um, and that's that's the thing. We don't listen to you know anecdotes and you know just experience. Well, you know, I just have always believed this, or or even think um, you know. Well, if I if I believe that, then that's going to the consequence of that is going to be mm. these people aren't going to be saved, or these people. Uh, were wrong, or, or that's going to make it harder for me to teach that. So God wouldn't want that to happen, would He? Uh, you know, it's it's not about that. Right. It's about what is God's will. What does He say? What's the Bible say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, verse thirty. So, all right. Here's the letter. Verse thirty. When they were sent off, 
they went down to Antioch, and having gathered that congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Again, that was kind of the, the, the purpose of, of this letter, was not to, to discourage, to cause greater um, you know, uh, amounts of, of burden on these brethren. You know, it, you know, evidently, you know, when it said that they had unsettled their minds and so forth, evidently, you know, there, there probably had been lots of, of these Gentile Christians that had probably been kind of anxiously waiting some kind of, a, of clarity uh, about these matters. Um, and so they were encouraged to hear these things. Verse 32, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Um, probably, um, I had this noted somewhere, that probably Paul and Barnabas, you know, stayed here for probably about another year before um, the, this, this next preaching journey is, is going to be planned and started. Um, but we're going to continue to work with these folks. It wasn't even just, hey, we're going to send them this letter and, all right, see you. We're going to the next place. No, let's, let's, let's keep working with, with some of these folks and um, continue to help strengthen them uh, with many uh, other words. It wasn't just this issue. There was lots of things that they still needed to study and uh, continue to grow in and, and to develop in. Uh, we didn't say this back a few verses ago, but I, I did want to point it out. Um, Peter's words uh, that he spoke earlier in the chapter, mm -hmm. um, verses um, 7 through 11, that's the last we're going to hear from Peter in the book of Acts. Yeah. Uh, kind of the closing of, of, of that particular uh, chapter. It's not his last mention in the rest of the Bible. Uh, of course, Peter writes two epistles himself. Um, but uh, we are now almost kind of full time now for the remainder of Acts. We're shifting to, to, to the work of Paul and, and his companions. Um, thoughts down through um, verse 35 before we look at this last paragraph. Uh, yeah, that in verse 32, when it talks about Judas and Silas, who were strengthening and encouraging them, um, yeah, I think yours said with many other words or, or mm -hmm. something like that. Mine said with a lengthy message. <laughs> and I, I just got to think, you know, how many of us are strengthened and encouraged with a lengthy message? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you know, hopefully you are. Um, we're well into the hour. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Now, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we sometimes complain when somebody is speaking longer than like 30 minutes, yeah. you know, on a sermon or something. But we can find strength and encouragement in even the lengthiest of lengthy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to develop, uh, you know, really rich, deep thoughts in a short amount of time. Um, and so sometimes we need that. I, I think that we just, we can't be so focused on, well, I'm, I'm going to get this message and I'm going to get out because that's all I need. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I think we should be wanting more. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's just a, a frame frame of mind type thing. It's easy for me to sit here and, and amen what you're saying because, because <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm known for some of those lengthy messages. Uh, yes, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Um, but yeah, you're right, and, and, and I don't know, it all comes back to our, our, our attitude and our desire for, uh, for spiritual things. I, I, 
I fully recognize that the mind can only endure, you know, what what the body will allow. I get that. Yeah. You know, I often think about in Acts 20 when Paul continued his speech until midnight and the thought that folks had, you know, been there for a long time already. Yeah, you, you maybe begin to test test some of those boundaries. I get all of that. Um, but I don't know, I just find it, it's just strange that those are the first lines of defense that people, you know, start spouting off. Uh, whenever it comes to this discussion of, of longer teaching sessions or longer sermons, um, our first line of defense ought to be, man, I really, I really want you know to hear God's word, uh, and I really want uh, as much of it as as I possibly can can receive. Um, this chapter has been very candid in in exposing and showing that there can be problems and disagreements on a, on, on a church level, in, in, a, in a big widespread level. Uh, it closes with more of that candidness, <laughs> that there can be problems and disagreement even on like an individual level. And so it's very fitting then that we are told uh, in verses 36 through 41 about the disagreement and even the, the dissension and the separation between you know what is arguably kind of the, you know the the Batman and Robin, the you know this super dynamic duo uh, of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, so verse thirty six, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are." And that seems like a pretty great idea. Yeah. Verse thirty seven. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so this, of course, speaks back to chapter... Was it? Uh, uh, 13, I think. 13. Um, Verse 13, maybe? Chapter 13, when John Mark, in the midst, or in all honesty, it may have even been very early on in that first preaching journey, they had brought him along and he he left them. And we speculated a little bit back at that time as to maybe what some of the reasons were. Maybe John Mark was just still young. Um, maybe he had a girlfriend back home and wanted to get to her. Uh, maybe he just, you know, again, just, just his makeup at that point in time uh, just, just wasn't cut out for this kind of thing. Uh, whatever the reason was, he left. And it seems maybe kind of evident from verse 38 that it, it, Paul might have kind of taken that a, a little bit personally, uh, or just taken it like, yeah, you know, one strike and you're out. And, you know, sorry, this is, this is hard, rigorous work that we're doing. I mean, there's a reason that just not everybody is being sent out for this type of work. There's a reason that when the church, you know, is going to send out some folks, it's usually just a couple of guys. Um, yeah. And, and it's guys who need to have a certain kind of, uh, of, of toughness about them. Um, I, I just finished the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the documentary series that aired on ESPN uh, this spring about the Chicago Bulls and uh, about the dynasty that they had back during the 90s. And one of the just kind of the, the themes throughout the whole documentary is the way that Michael Jordan, um, the expectations that he had for his teammates and how if you're not willing to be brought up to this level, sorry, you're just not going to be cut out for, for, for being on this team and for the, you know, we're striving for a championship here. And um, 
and that was a tough mentality for some of his teammates to have to deal with, but those who stuck with it realized, hey, he was he was challenging us and trying to bring us up to a higher level. Yeah. And I kind of see Paul in that same way. It's like, look, I realize this isn't cut out for everybody. John Mark left us. And, you know, this second trip, I kind of expect it's going to be a lot of the same stuff we endured on the first trip. I mean, what kind of stuff do we endure on the first trip? I got stoned, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and I'm not talking about stoned as in high. I, I got stoned yeah. as in, like, they killed. killed. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this was serious business. Um, and so Paul kind of takes more of the, 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 you know, the bad cop approach, so to speak. He, hmm. He's kind of the more tough-minded one. Barnabas, on the other hand... Uh, we know from Colossians chapter what is it chapter four, uh, he's he's a blood relative to John Mark. So yeah. all right, he's he's kind of got a, a familial connection there. On top of that, though, Barnabas is also known as the son of encouragement, um, and so he kind of has built within his character this this idea of of giving people a second chance and kind of being a little bit more patient and more long suffering than maybe Paul was. Um, the, the the thing about this is, I, I look at this, this is an issue of who was right. You know, we have lots of disagreements lots of times between, you know, between Christians, and it's, all right, well, who was right and who was wrong? And the answer to this is, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, th- th- they were both right or wrong. Uh, th- there was not some kind of a clear answer about this. And um, it was. It ended up just being, I think, just a matter of, 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 of judgment. And, and it does. And, you know, I'm thinking about it from uh, Mark's perspective, what that would have been like. Um, do you think that maybe he needed to hear some harsh words um, to, you know, maybe grow up a little bit? Possibly. Maybe, maybe suck it up a little bit. Do you think he needed the encouragement that Barnabas offered him? Probably so. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes I think we need both of those things, probably from different people. Uh, You know, it might be kind of weird getting both of that from the same person. It's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, But I think a lot of times our growth comes because we experience both of those. Um, Now, and maybe some of us are more of a Paul. Some of us are more of a Barnabas. Uh, And so the way that we approach people, the way that we deal with people and problems and issues, we can't think any less of the opposite personality of us because the church needs both. Mm-hmm. We, we need both of those. We need strong-willed people who are, are willing to step up and do what's right and, and to hold people to a high standard. Yeah. But we also need people who encourage and you know, lift up and exhort. And You, know, you, you have some of those passages that talk about some of the, uh, the different gifts and abilities that different people have. Um, why do you think encouraging and exhorting is on there? You know, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. That's not everybody. Not everybody's good at that. Right. Um, because, you know, sometimes people need that. Sometimes people need more of the other. Sometimes people need both at the same time. Um, whatever it was, it seemed like, you know, the outcome of this, you know, you read later on, you know, Paul says, you know, Mark's to a great benefit. He's useful to me. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that shows that, you know, we can't, we don't want to always think that I have to be right 100% of all that I do. And in all my decisions, that was the right thing to do. Because sometimes it's just, you know, it's not right or wrong. It's just different approaches. Yeah. Um, so. Well, and, and to your point, you're talking about, you know, how this 
all, maybe if nothing else, serve to benefit John Mark because he is talked about as being productive for, for Paul later on. He was, Peter found him to be productive later on. Uh, as far as we can tell, this is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, so he's productive and, and valuable to me <laughs> yeah. and, and, and all the rest of us from, from that standpoint. And uh, who knows if, if he had ever would have ever got to that point if there hadn't been kind of, you know, maybe some of the, 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 the tough love from Paul but also the, the tender love that Barnabas showed him. The other pro in all of this, you know, we look at this and we think, oh man, this is terrible. Here's two spiritual giants disagreeing. Verse 39 says mm. the, the disagreement was sharp between them so that they separated from each other. And we might say, this is terrible. This is horrible. We've broke up the, the dynamic duo. Well, let's look at how this works out positively. Let's talk about how the Lord takes what looks like a lemon and he makes lemonade out of this. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So they're going in this direction. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul gets him a comrade and he goes in the other direction. So what's happened now? Well, what's happened now is not only do we have... A, you know, a, a single unit going on this second missionary journey. No, now we've got two units on the second missionary journey, and they're going in different directions, and they're able to actually cover more ground, more territory, uh, essentially accomplish more than they would have if they had just worked together in that, you know, one group. Um, and so this this speaks to just how you know the Lord and His providence is again He's able to to take things that look like you know Satan you know putting a wedge between brethren and we know later on Paul will talk well of Barnabas before it's all said and done he will talk about in the Galatian letter about how Barnabas got swept away in the hypocrisy that that Peter was involved in. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't seem like that was some kind of a, a you know a, a long prolonged problem for him. Uh, it was something that it was just a lapse in his own uh, character and judgment at the time. And you know, I tend to take it that he repented of that. Um, and later on, Paul speaks well of him. Uh, having said all of that, um, this is also the last time we're going to hear about uh, Barnabas uh, for the rest of the Book of Acts, uh, from what I remember, uh, or or John Mark uh, for that matter. Um, it's Paul and Silas, and and then you know Paul and Timothy, and some of the other rotating cast of, of characters, uh, kind of working with Paul. Even though we don't hear from Barnabas though for the rest of the Book of Acts, I think I can confidently say he's in the background, continuing to do the work of the Lord. Um, John Mark is doing that with him as well, and is growing and evolving and uh, becoming more of the kind of uh, Christian that he needed to be. Um, so there's all kinds of work going on, you know, and that's not to even speak of. I mean, we know that Peter was continuing to, to do his work, and, and John, and all the other apostles. I, I got to thinking earlier in the chapter when it says, um, you know, all the apostles were there. Uh, or it doesn't say all the apostles, it just says the apostles, so I'm just assuming all of the other 11 were there at that time. But I got to thinking, oh, we don't know anything about, I mean, like, tell me everything you know about Bartholomew and his work. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. There you go. Yep. Um, I, I, oh, well, here's what we do know. We know that he was doing the work of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm confident in saying that. As far as all the specifics, don't know. But all of these different Christians and all these different pockets and corners uh, are continuing to carry out the gospel mission that Jesus had entrusted them to do. 
Uh, we're just now, for the, for the remaining uh, 13 chapters of the book, uh, we're just going to be largely focusing on uh, the work that Paul is doing. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. It, sometimes, you know, Luke's been doing, I've, I've made reference to the Star Wars panning from one scene to the next. And he's been doing that a lot, kind of back and forth. Here's what's yeah. going on with Peter. Oh, let's shift over here to Saul. Let's shift back over here to Peter. Uh, it's pretty exclusively Paul from this point forward. Uh, so I'm kind of ready to just drill down and kind of look at, at, at his work um, and the things that he'll do for the remainder of the book. Yeah, say ye? so I, I think sometimes because we have so much written from Paul and about Paul that we we put Paul on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, and I think that he, he was a great person and, and he definitely we should model uh, a lot of what we do um, based on some of the things that he did. He even says that, you know, use me as an example. Yeah. Um, but, you know, not to say that anybody else was was inferior to that. You know, we just have more records about him. Um, yeah, I, I do wonder what happened after that with Barnabas, and, and what did Mark do, and, and what did Peter do after this, and what about Bartholomew? You yeah. know, tell me more. Um, but yeah, that's the thing about this. We have the truth that we need, and you know, we we don't need anything else. Yeah. Um, and so if if God decided that we needed to have more information about somebody, He would have given that to us. Um, I think that that just shows that we should treasure what we have mm-hmm. um, and, and just be excited to study that and excited to look into it. Um, it, is, it is strange, you know, going from this point on to only focusing on Paul, but it, it helps us to uh, see a lot that we might not have seen before if we were focused on too many things at once. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's an exciting thing, and, you know, we, we're in for a... a a lot of treats. <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting that this chapter does contain kind of these two pictures of of, of disagreement. Um, the first picture, that's the first 35 verses, mm. speaks to a disagreement that it, it, it has to be worked out. You know, mm. that we, we have to come to a, a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Because in that particular instance, there was a clear answer of this was right and this was wrong. Whereas here in these last uh, few verses of the chapter, we get a picture of, of, of disagreement that it, it doesn't seem to be a clear issue of, of right and wrong. And there is a place yeah. for uh, some, some, some differences of, of opinion. And um, it's sometimes hard to be able to sort out yeah. w- w- which camp that falls in, you know, when, when we're disagreeing over something. I know that there have been issues in the past that I've disagreed with brethren over that to me, I. I just thought it was clearly a matter of opinion, but to them, it was not. Yeah, it was to them. It was a it was a matter of, of of doctrine. And hey, you know, you're wrong if you don't see it the way that I do. Um, that's a challenge, uh, and and it that's is. why that that's why those principles that we talked about in the first thirty five verses are so key. We need to study, and there needs to be discourse, and there needs to be communication. Um, but at the end of the day, there are. I think the last section illustrates there are issues that we can disagree on, uh, and that's okay. And you know what? Sometimes even those disagreements still may lead to some separation. Uh, yeah. and, and I guess that is the unfortunate aspect of, 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 of those last few verses. Um, I don't think it diminished the love that Paul and Barnabas had for one another. Um, they didn't consider each other any less of, of brethren because of it. Um, but it did result in a in a separation at least for for some period of time, and 
sometimes that is what ends up needing to take place. Um, but that's where we need to kind of have the, the optimistic look. Okay, well, what are some positives that can come out of that? Mm-hmm. And there, I think there were clearly some positives that, that came out of that separation. Um, that the, the teaching of the gospel had an even greater influence on the world um, as a result of all that. Parting thoughts on chapter 15 before we tie it up. If my goal as a writer, if I was Luke, and my, my goal was to promote the, the propaganda idea that you need to follow the movement that I'm a part of, I would not have included chapter 15. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There's no way because it shows all these problems do come up. So um, I, I think that that helps us with credibility for one um, to see the transparency that we have with problems in the church and problems between brethren. Um, but it, it also, I think, points to what you were just saying about um, how do we handle conflict and how do we handle these things. If it is a matter of doctrinal concerns, let's get to the bottom of it. Let's find what, what the truth is. If it's a personal disagreement, uh, don't let that tear you down and don't let that stop you from working because I think that happens sometimes. Yeah. We'd get so upset that it's like, well, I'm not going to be part of that group and I'm just not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's not it. You know, if, if we do have a separation, well, let's use that as the opportunity, as you were saying, to spread the gospel, um, to get out there because, uh, you know, we, we could be in a better position to help more people. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that we just need to care more about that sort of thing and, and not just have this mentality of, uh, I'm part of a, a good solid group, so I must be okay. No, there's work to be done, no matter if everyone's getting along or if not. So, uh, you know, no matter what, let's, let's keep working um, to encourage each other. Let's, let's keep working to, to build each other up as much as we can. Um, and let's just keep studying. Yeah. You know, what, what you said there got me thinking. Um, the fact that stories like this are included in Scripture, uh, the, the, other, the other aspect of that is that that just kind of just proves even more the veracity of the Bible. Um, that it would include even those scenes and moments of uh, that you know are not you know real wonderful happy pictures, but you know, hey, you're getting you're getting what reality is, warts and all. You know the Old Testament's filled with. I mean, the story of David. You know, hey, all this yeah. wonderful momentous occasion, and then the story of Bathsheba. Hey? That's reality. That's that's the way people are, and uh, so it just it really just for me it helps to kind of just buttress my uh, faith in the scriptures as a whole even more. The fact that that God you know through His Spirit saw fit to include uh, all of these events, and they're there for our learning. They're there for us to learn from, and so we'll continue to do that. We'll pick up next time in Acts the sixteenth chapter. And the truth is, we're going to see more instances and episodes where. Uh, you know, Christians don't always act in the best the best way that they should. People are not always perfect. The church is not, you know, as wonderfully harmonious as we would like for it to be and as God would like for it to be. Uh, but it's there for us to learn from, and so that's why I'm glad we've got uh, got this great book of Acts to help us in that in that effort. So, till next time, thank you for listening, and we'll pick up in Acts 16 next week.